Every good coach knows that in order for someone to make a change, they need to be challenged. That even the most talented athletes, in order for them to experience change, a new habit, a new way of doing things, a new opportunity to see new things, that they have to face some sort of a challenge to get them to change. Jesus knows this about us. Jesus wants to see us changed. He longs for us to become more like him. In order for us to change, Jesus challenges us. In fact, that's what we're gonna see in today's message. In the passage that we're gonna be in, we're going to see Jesus make some pretty significant challenges. And the big theme of the message today, and if you're taking notes in our journal as we go through the Gospel of Mark, you may want to write this down. The big idea for today's message is where there is no challenge, there is no change. That where there is no challenge, and this is just true for anything in life, where there is no challenge, there is no change. But where we see change take place, it means that there was then a challenge to get us there And today, as we open up to Mark chapter 2, Jesus is going to challenge us. And so I want to invite you to receive that challenge from him. So open up to Mark chapter 2 in your Bible. And if you want to use one of the blue Bibles that we provide for you, it's found on page 1524. Page 1524. As you're turning there, those of you who are joining us online, great to have you with us as always. And I hope that you all open up. Uh, scripture to Mark chapter 2 as well. In this section of Mark chapter 2, Jesus is going to issue three significant challenges uh, to the people that he's interacting with and to us, and here comes the first one. And Mark sets the scene for us that uh, this challenge takes place in. Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, in what's happening here is in the first century uh, A.D. in in, um, Israel, that oftentimes people lived in very small homes. It was just one room, but they would have an external stairway outside the house that would go up onto the roof. And the reason is this part of Israel, it is just famously hot in different seasons of the year. And so people, because they were trying to escape the heat, they would go up onto the roof and build a sunshade, and then they could experience some relief. So it's pretty common for people to go up and be on the roofs of homes. And often on this roof, there was some thatch. It was uh, made, made of thatch and then made of clay. And so it's possible that you would be able to dig out the roof. And that's exactly what's happening. These four friends who are determined to get their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus, because the crowd's in the way, they go up on the roof. And then can you imagine, they start digging out the roof of this person's home The house doesn't belong to them, and yet they're digging open the roof. And this is what's setting the stage for the challenge that Jesus is about ready to issue. Verse 5 is what happens next. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the word blasphemy, what it means is it means to attribute or to speak, uh, speak poorly of somebody. So uh, if you're attributing things of God to yourself, that's considered blasphemy because you're demeaning the nature and the character of God by saying that you can do what only God can do. And so they assume that Jesus is, is, is making blasphemy here because he is claiming that he can forgive sins. And in their mind, only God can forgive sins. In fact, God is the only one who can forgive sins. And the reason that these teachers of the law were likely thinking this, and the reason that they were so challenged by what Jesus was saying, is they understood the law inside and out. As teachers of the law, as young boys in Israel, they would have memorized the entire law. They would have known it by heart. So when Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, probably right away they would have thought to themselves, wait a minute, we know the process that has to be followed in order for someone to have their sins forgiven. In fact, some of them may have even gone to a certain passage that we find in Leviticus. So in Leviticus chapter 4, it gives a whole list of what needs to be done in order for sins to be forgiven. And in a part of Leviticus 4, it gives specific regulations for how the common Israelite person's sins can be forgiven. Now, let me just read to you what that process was like. So, so the law says this. It says, if any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for their sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering, and they're doing that to symbolize their sin being transferred to this animal, and then slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest, okay, so the priest is involved, which means this can only take place in a place where there is a priest, and the priests are only at the tabernacle or at the temple. So the priest is involved, and he takes some of the blood with, the, with his finger and puts it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and then pours the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And then here's what the law says, in this way... The priest will make atonement, that just means to cover over sin, will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. And so the reason that they're so upset about what Jesus just said when he looked at this paralyzed man and said, son, your sins are forgiven, is, is they re realize that none of this has happened. Like this paralyzed man just showed up. In fact, he didn't even get here himself. He was drugged here by somebody else. And there is no female goat. Uh, there's no priest. In fact, we're 100 miles north of Jerusalem. We're a far way away from the temple. So there can't even be all the sacrifice, and we can't do all the, the requirements that God has in order for sins to be forgiven. And yet Jesus looks at the man and with just his words says, your sins are forgiven. That's a big challenge to these teachers of the law. What Jesus is doing and the challenge that he is giving to them is the same challenge that Jesus still gives to you and to me. What Jesus does is Jesus challenges our thinking. He's challenging the thinking of these teachers of the law because in their mind, there is no way that God would ever come near to them. 
I mean, they look at all these regulations in the law and they say that's just proof that, that God's a far way away from us because of our sinfulness. And so we have to go through all this process and all this protocol and all this procedure just to be able to, to possibly have our sins forgiven. But in no way would God ever choose to come and be among us sinners. And I think Jesus still challenges our way of thinking to this day. Because oftentimes when we think about God, we think of God as being out there. That God is distant. That God is disconnected. That maybe even God is kind of disinterested with the everyday happenings of our life. And what Jesus does is Jesus challenges that mindset by bringing God uncomfortably close to us. That Jesus is challenging our thinking by saying God is powerful, but he is also personal, and he is present. That challenges how we think about and how we see God. And Jesus knows that he's challenging the way of thinking that these teachers of the law have, and he just leans right into the challenge. He keeps going. Here's what happens next in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And the answer to that question is neither. Neither of those things are easy. Only those are things that God can do. That's Jesus' point. He goes on in verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Some of us read that story and we're like, yeah, you go, Jesus. Show them who you really are, right? So excited about this. Just so proud of him. Others of you read that story, and you're thinking to yourself, really? Like, did this really happen? Like, did, did a man who was paralyzed just all of a sudden, just at, at a word, just get up and walk home? And the reason that you think that is because there has, has become this belief in our modern day that Jesus was just a great teacher. But all the miracles that we have recorded for us in Scripture, those are all made up. And this belief is that Jesus was just this great teacher and he had a great following and everybody loved him. Uh, maybe he upset a few people and they had him killed. But at the end of the day, his followers, hundreds of years later, invented all of these miraculous stories so you actually can't believe that any of those things in the Bible are true. And that's, that's just not true. I believe everything that Mark recorded for us exactly as he says in here is what happened. That this miracle did occur. And, and you can be confident that the miracle occurred. And here's why you can be confident in this. One of the reasons you can be confident that these miracles actually occurred is because of Jesus' words himself. If you go back and you study what was happening in the first century in Israel under Roman occupation at the time when Jesus lived, Jesus' teachings were super countercultural. I mean, he challenged people. He, he, he pushed back on expectations. 
But his, his teachings were one that would not have been popular. And in fact, people would not have, have leaned into his teachings because they were challenging to them. In fact, the only reason that people paid attention to Jesus' teachings is because of all of his miracles. And when he did all these miracles, it drew the crowd in, and people were amazed at what they saw, and because they were drawn in, then they started listening to the word that Jesus had to say, and they found out that his words were right, and that his teachings were onto something, and it started to change and to transform them. But without the miracles, you never get the crowds that actually follow Jesus. And Jesus actually says in himself, he says, I'm using this miracle to authenticate my, my teaching is trustworthy and true, and you can trust my word. But the other reason that I'm, I'm confident that this happened is actually because of how Mark records it for us. Mark, as, as Dale mentioned last week, is likely the eyewitness account of Peter. And you can just see Peter's personality throughout the document of Mark. I mean, Mark is a fast-paced document. You read it, and it's like this happened, and then immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. It's like we're one thing to the next to the next. It's just this, it's like frantic. You read it, you're like, I need to catch my breath. This is just like so intense. But even in the midst of this frantic, fast-paced document, Mark pauses in certain points all throughout this document, and he gives really specific details. Like he names names, and he puts them in certain locations. Which means if somebody was, was reading this, you could go back and you could kind of put all those, those pieces of evidence together, and, and you could find out that this was likely written before 70 AD. Which means that many of the people that Mark cites they were still alive when he wrote it, which means people could have taken that document, they could have gone to these places, they could have spoken to the people that were involved, and they could have asked, did this actually happen? And in fact, we know that that did happen because Luke, when he writes his document, he opens his gospel by saying, I have thoroughly investigated everything that's been reported to you about Jesus, and I found it to be true. So Mark never would have made up or invented these stories because of how specific and how early it was written. But the most compelling reason that I'm so convinced that this miracle and all the other ones occurred is because this is not the biggest miracle we believe in. The biggest miracle we believe in is that at the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus went to the cross and was crucified. And he did that to take on the punishment that was due for our sins. Think back to that passage that we just read in Leviticus. See, Jesus became that sacrifice for us. But rather than being a one-time animal sacrifice, this was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices because it was God himself being sacrificed. And that was proven because three days after his death, Jesus literally rose from the grave. And when he did, he proved that that was God himself. Because God's the author of life and death cannot keep life down. And so because Jesus rose from the grave, he's proving that his word is true. And here's Mark's point in all of that. He's saying this, that Jesus can forgive us of our sins. And that is such good news. That is such good news that Jesus can forgive us for our sins. In fact, for some of you, you're hearing that and you're like, that is good news for me. Because you've been wondering if your sin could ever be forgiven. You've been wondering what it would take for God to be able to atone for what you've done. Right? It's good news. Here's what that means. It means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done or what has been done to you. 
God loves you and Jesus can forgive you of your sins. And there are others of you that hear that and you think to yourself, yeah, that's good. But so what? I mean, so what? Like, it's good because I won't have to go to hell when I die and and that's gonna be obviously better and I'm grateful for that, but like, the reality is it kind of hasn't changed much of my day-to-day life. Like, what difference does the fact that Jesus can forgive my sins mean tomorrow morning or later this afternoon when I'm dealing with all the stuff that I deal with? What difference does this actually make? And it's almost as if Mark anticipates that. Because in the next scene, Jesus leans into this challenge a little bit more so we start to understand really what this is about. By verse 15 in the next scene of Mark chapter two, Jesus is at a dinner party. And this dinner party is filled with sinners and uh, just scandalous people. People that a good teacher would never spend their time around. And the religious teachers of the law see this and because they're intimidated to talk to Jesus, they ask his disciples, they say, hey, why, why does Jesus hang out with all, these, with all these sinners? And Jesus hears about it and he responds. And what he says to them is he says this in Mark two seventeen. Jesus responded by saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. A couple months ago, Steph and I were actually throwing a dinner party ourselves. And uh, I love good barbecue. And so I wanted to smoke this uh, beef brisket. And that takes a lot of time. So we actually put the beef brisket in overnight and let it smoke all night. And uh, we're we're running behind, it's getting late at night and we're trying to hurry to to get this thing on the grill so then we can go to bed. And uh, I wanted to trim some of the excess fat off and and I'm just, I'm, I'm rushing and I'm not paying enough attention. So I'm holding the meat wrong, I'm holding the knife wrong and I'm cutting the wrong way and you know what's gonna happen. I just put the knife right into my finger. And the worst part was Stephanie watched the whole thing happen. And so I look up and I see her facial expression. And my first commenter is like, don't worry, I don't need to go to the doctor. (laughs) So 25 minutes later, I'm checking into the ER. (laughs) And I have one goal as I'm checking into the ER. I'm just trying to fill the paperwork out without bleeding all over the counter. Because this thing was gushing, right? It was obvious I needed to see someone about this. Spiritually speaking, some of us are like that. Our sin's obvious. We're like bleeding all over the place. We know the hurt that we caused ourselves. We know the hurt that we caused others. We recognize we need a savior. But there are many of us who look at our life and we're like, I think I'm good. I mean, not perfect. I've had some bumps and bruises along the way, but everybody has. Maybe even a cut here or there, but I bandaged it up and I'm okay. I don't need a savior. Not that bad. And to that, Jesus challenges us. He challenges us because the question is, Is your bleeding more internal? Do you have that area of sin in your life that nobody knows about, but just you? 
You have that thing in your past that you think nobody's gonna find out about, but you know that it's there. Or maybe for you, it's just this sense of a lack of contentment. It's like you've been able to accomplish everything that you've wanted to accomplish in your life. It's like every success you have, you you get to the top and and it hasn't quite fulfilled you the way you thought it was gonna fulfill you and you think maybe the next one will and so you just go from success to success or pursuit to pursuit and it seems like you never quite find the rest or the peace or the excitement or the joy or the satisfaction that you were kind of hoping for and do you know why? It's because you're just not getting honest with Jesus. Here's the deal. Jesus knows you. He knows the real you. He loves you anyway, and he invites you anyway. And what the real Jesus wants is for you to be real with him. Because when you are, you recognize that you need him. And that's the point. See, Jesus can, can, can save us for our sins. We have to recognize our need. And not only do we have to recognize our need, we have to come to that place in our life where we realize that what Jesus is doing is he is challenging our pride. Because none of us like to admit that we need help. But he challenges our pride in order to heal our soul. That was what Jesus meant by that statement. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. His point is, you're all sick. And I know because I created you. And I'm among you. And I understand, but I've come to heal you. But you've got to recognize that you need it in order to experience it. And listen, so much of us, so many of us, are not experiencing the change that Jesus wants to bring in our life because we're not letting him challenge our pride and admit the fact that we need him. But even for those of us that have come to that place in our life, even those of us who have admitted that we need Jesus and we've asked him to forgive us our sins, and he has, there is still one more challenge that he has for us. And that challenge comes at the end of this passage in verse 22 of Mark chapter two, and Jesus makes this really peculiar statement. He's talking about wine and wineskins. Here's what he says. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. He says, no, people pour new wine into new wineskins. What in the world is he talking about? On the first century, when they made wine, what they do is they would take goat skins because goat skins were incredibly strong but also very flexible. And so as they would pour the wine into these goat skins, the wine would begin to ferment. And as the wine ferments, it starts to release carbon dioxide and so the wine skin starts to expand. And because of the flexibility and the strength of those wine skins or those goat skins, they would preserve the wine so that it could age properly. But after the wine had aged, and if you took one of those goat skins that was dried out and brittle, and you poured new wine into it, as it starts to ferment and the carbon dioxide starts coming out, it will burst the wine skin. Here's Jesus' point. Jesus is saying, you can't add a little bit of me into your old way of living and think it's all gonna work out. He's saying, you can't, you can't have me come in and bring my forgiveness into your old life and not expect some things to change. Because when Jesus comes in, he starts to bring transformational change. And he says, if your expectation is that I'm gonna come into your life and just forgive your sins and not change anything else, it's about to get really messy. 
because I'm gonna blow this thing open. And that's what brings us right back to our first scene. We're right back into that house that has the new skylight. And Jesus is standing there talking to these Pharisees and he's challenging them. And not only is he challenging their thinking, he's also challenging their and our expectations. See, these teachers of the law had this expectation about who Jesus was. They thought he was, a, he was a great miracle worker. They thought he was a great teacher. But that's all they thought he was. And when Jesus started to claim that he was God himself, that he started to claim that he was divine, that upset them. They were like, no, 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 Jesus. You're, that's not your place. We are the ones who deal with things of God. You're the teacher. You're the miracle worker. Stay in your lane, Jesus. Don't come over here. And Jesus challenged them on that. And I'm confident that Jesus is challenging us in the same way he challenged those teachers of the law. It's just the content is different. See, I think we look to Jesus, and many of us who've been around church for a while, or we've grown up in a religious environment, we've heard about Jesus, I think we're very comfortable with the idea that Jesus can forgive us our sins. And we're like, yeah, you can totally forgive. In fact, that's what you do, Jesus. You're the person who forgives my sins. That's your job. But we're starting to believe that that's only what Jesus does. And when Jesus starts wanting to get involved in our everyday life, we're like, whoa, 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 stay in your lane. Like, I'm just, I'm gonna come to you on Sunday morning, I'm, you're gonna forgive me my sins so I can feel better, and then I'm gonna keep going on and doing my life, and Jesus says, that's not who I am. And so Jesus challenges our expectations to bring transformation to our life. He challenges our expectations on who he is and the type of transformation and change that he wants to bring to our lives. See, so often, here's what I think of, I think that we are like that man on the mat who's just, we're lying there paralyzed. And you and I are paralyzed by real things that are going on in our life. We are, we are paralyzed with a sense of fear about what's happening in my job or what's happening in my family or what's happening to my kids, we're just paralyzed by it. Or we're paralyzed by an area of sin. And for years you've been trying to get rid of this, you've been trying to do it your own, you've been, you've been praying about it, you've been trying really hard and it, you're not getting anywhere and it just, you just feel like you're, you, you can't move, you're just paralyzed. Or you're paralyzed with a sense of anxiety, you're paralyzed with an unbelief, you're, you're, you're paralyzed with a relationship that's just haunting you, you're, just, you're stuck. And we are very content to hear the words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, but we never think or have an expectation that he's gonna say to us, get up and walk. Because we're not coming to him in that way. And so it's like we're holding back from all the change that Jesus wants to bring, because listen, we don't let him challenge us. And every good coach knows that where there is no challenge, there is no change. That's what Coach Dre learned. Dre's a varsity basketball coach here in the Twin Cities, also coaches a great AAU program, very accomplished coach. And he knows that in order to see change, you gotta be challenged. And Jesus has challenged him. A little over a year ago, there was a family on one of his basketball teams that invited him to come to church here at Wooddale. And so he and his family came, heard about Jesus, said yes to Jesus, 
and started learning about what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus and growing in his relationship with him and learning more and more about the Bible and about who God is. It was transforming for him. I mean, he had grown up hearing about God. He never, never assumed that God wanted to be personally involved in his life. And on the outside, you'd look at Coach Dre and you'd say, man, you got it going on. Like, your life is really good. Like, you're having success. You've got all these athletes that are having, you know, notoriety, and then they're at big-name schools, and look at all the success you have. But, but internally, Dre had, had a little bit of an internal bleed that nobody knew about. Debilitating anxiety that would just sweep over him. And, and when it would hit, it would just be like moments where he was just lying paralyzed on the couch, just, just, just afraid to move. And so not long ago, he was, he was actually here at, at church. And Dale was given a message, and, and something that Dale said in the message, just, just God spoke to him, and he realized that, that Jesus wants so much more for him than, than he ever could have imagined. And he realized that he's not really trusting Jesus with this, with this thing that's like debilitating for him. And so he prayed a prayer that was like, he got real with Jesus. It wasn't like a, hey, fix me, and hey, help me get better. It was like, a, hey, I gotta be honest with you. I can't do this. Like, I gotta get real with you, and I actually believe you can do something about this, but I gotta trust you, and I gotta give it to you. And Dre tells the story that it was in that moment that God met him in just a, a, an incredible way. Speaking to him, just giving him a sense of peace and comfort. And, and right about then, as he's having this experience, his phone vibrates. A text message is coming in. And it's from the same family that invited him to Wooddale Church. Said, so Dre, You've been coming to church for a little over a year. You've said yes to Jesus. Baptism is your next step. Are you ready? And he said in that moment, it was like God was confirming for me, I see you, I've got a plan for you, and I want to be involved in changing you. And next weekend, Dre is gonna be on the stage being baptized along with several other people in the name of Jesus. And he was able to be changed by Jesus He's able to be changed by Jesus because he let Jesus challenge him. So what's the challenge that Jesus wants to give to you and to me today? I think for many of us, we need to put this message into application by being like the friends of that paralyzed man. Those friends got to Jesus by removing what was in the way. They were so confident in who Jesus was they said, whatever's in the way is going to get moved so we can get to Jesus because we have faith in him. We need to have the same type of faith. Here's how we apply this. We need to have the faith to tear open the roof. It's time to tear open the roof and get to the real Jesus because he wants to bring change in your life. And so for some of us, that roof might be an area of sin. For others of us, that roof might be a, an, un, an area of unbelief. For others of us, that, that roof might be a relationship in our life. But, but there is one roof that I am confident is true for every single one of us. And it is our schedule. That our schedule is keeping us from Jesus because we've just scheduled him out of our lives. Because we're busy people. And we live busy lives. And we don't have time to really get with Jesus long enough to let Jesus challenge us. We'll spend enough time to have Jesus comfort us, but we don't really spend enough time to let Jesus challenge us. And we need to start tearing open our schedule 
to get there. I was thinking about this, this message this week, and I, I, I was working through it and, and then realizing that our schedule is like this thing that stands between us and Jesus, and I was like, God, that just feels really specific. Are, are you sure that's how we should end the message? And is this, this is how we should wrap it up? And like, is our schedule really that much of a problem? So I was just sitting with it toward the end of this week, and actually it was on Thursday, Caleb Hollenkamp comes into my office. Caleb is our junior high associate. And uh, we had snow camp last weekend for junior high. Over 104 uh, junior hires were at snow camp. Um, not over 104, 104 uh, <laughs> were at uh, snow camp. And um, Caleb comes in into my office and he wanted to share something with me because here's what our team does. It's, you should be so proud of, of the staff uh, that's on our, our student ministries team. They, they do evaluations on snow camp every year. You know, what can we do better and what was good? And, but then in every evaluation, here's what they ask. They say, how, how can we as leaders be praying for you? So every one of those students writes out the heaviest burden on their heart and asks for prayer requests. And many of them were moving. I mean, prayer for, for health, for healing, for relational challenges. But then we came across a few that really caught my attention. I want to read them to you. Here's what a seventh grade student last weekend wrote, how can your leader pray for you to find time for Jesus in my life? That's a seventh grade student. Here's what a ninth grade student wrote, how can your leader pray for you to find time in my busy schedule? Seventh grade student, how can your leader pray for you to manage my busy schedule while still having time alone with God. Seventh grade. When our kids are too busy to spend time with Jesus, we're too busy. I can't tell you how convicting this was for me because my son's in junior high. And I started thinking about my schedule, and we're busy. Both our kids are in band this year. Somehow, in the next couple of months, we have nine band concerts. <laughs> I don't even know how the math on that works, right? Two kids, nine band concerts. We're busy. All of us are busy. But listen, our busyness is keeping us from the transformation that Jesus wants to bring to our life. And it's good change. It's healing change. It's change that our souls are aching for, but we've got to get with Jesus. So you know what we need to do? We need to be a little irresponsible. Kind of like tearing open the roof of a person's home that you don't know. That kind of irresponsible. Like we need to start deciding that we're gonna spend 30 minutes every morning with Jesus. You're like, I don't have 30 minutes every morning. I know, and that's the point. Or you need to make a commitment that every single Sunday you're gonna be here to worship God. And you're gonna be here because you need to be in God's presence and your soul needs to be reminded about who he is and you have to get reoriented to him so, so you can have him start to impact your life and bring change and transformation. And here's what, uh, here's what is gonna happen if, if, if you commit to this and you start doing this for 30 minutes even this week or, or you just make a commitment, we're always gonna be here on Sunday, whatever, whatever the conflict, we're gonna say no to everything else and yes to, to worshiping God corporately. Here's what's gonna happen. You're not gonna see a change right away. Very few of you are gonna have that kind of moment that Dre had, and I hope and pray that you would, but the reality is you're just not. But here's what's gonna happen. 
if you stay with it. And if you just keep tearing open that roof, morning by morning, prayer by prayer, Sunday by Sunday, song by song, even if you don't like to sing, you're going to get to the real Jesus. And when you get to the real Jesus and you have faith that he can actually bring the transformation into our lives that we so desperately need, you're going to start to see that change happen. Because you got to Jesus and you allowed him to challenge something that was in his way. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. But Jesus wants to bring change for the better. So you're healed and so you're whole. Let me pray for us. Father, for many of us, our schedules are sacred things. Lord, we get really uptight when people start messing with our calendar. And Father, we give you permission to start messing with our schedule because we confess we need you. And we need you to impact us in a deep and a personal way and we gotta let you challenge us. And Lord, we have to have the faith to believe that your change is actually gonna be for our good. And Lord, that's what we're so scared of. We're just so scared that if, if, we, if we give you more time that you're gonna waste it or we're gonna miss out or that what you wanna do in our life isn't gonna be good, but Father, help us to see that we can trust your word because of the miracles that you've performed. And Lord, our confidence is that you will do a miraculous thing in our own heart and soul. But we gotta let you get in there and have your way. And so Father, in the name of Jesus we say, come and tear open our roof. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.